it was the same on both sides. God was saying, you need to leave. So they took that to the overseeing pastor, Pastor Hike, who was actually Uncle Hike to me. He was my dad's best friend and overseeing the church there. And he said to them, um, no, you've heard wrong. We need you here. And they were delighted to hear that and said, that's, that's great. We want to stay. Um, anyway, he ends up having a dream and God speaks to Pastor Hike and says, no, you need to let them go and urgently. So he ends up going back to the house, you know, knocking the door down early hours in the morning going, no, you, I'm so sorry. I spoke out of turn. God spoken to me a dream, in a dream. Yes, you, you heard correctly. You need to be leaving. And actually there's a sense of urgency to it. You need to leave soon. So I was nine at that time. You're listening to Altered Stories with Michelle Renee Gutch. to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually with podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff. You can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com or the Access More app. Hello, Altered Stories show listeners. This is your chief storyteller host, Michelle Saunders-Gutch, and welcome to my season two, 106th episode, Lana's Rising Up God Story. Thank you for listening to my show that is part of the Spark Media Network in the Edify app that helps Christian women share their God stories so women around the world can hear them and never feel alone. Now, friends, it's time to get this show started. And today, I'm excited to bring to the mic my lovely special guest, Lana Silk. Lana is the daughter of Lazarus and Maggie and serves as Transform Iran's CEO in the USA. In this role, she actively seeks to bring freedom to the people of Iran, transforming the nation into one which bears the image of Christ. Friends, I got Holy Spirit bumps. That is incredible. Through their ministry and humanitarian aid, Lana hopes that Transform Iran will create divine change in the lives of the Iranian people. So what an awesome role she has, and I can't wait for you to learn more about her. So I'm going to share just a few other words. Uh, She's a wife and a mom of three and lives in Ohio. She was born and raised in Iran before immigrating to the UK, where she completed her education at the Imperial College in London gaining an honors in computer engineering. She's a whiz. That's not an easy degree to get and to do it with honors. She has also worked as a church minister, worship leader, and a college chaplain. And friends, she uh, took further postgraduate studies in working with youth with a focus on mental health and safeguarding. 
Wow, that is powerful. So now it's time to bring her to the mic to get to know her. Welcome to the podcast show. Lana, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Michelle. I am excited to talk with you and let's see what the Lord wants to bring out. Amen. So we, you know, have talked and I shared quite a few things, but I want to make sure there isn't anything I've left out about you that you might want to share personally. I think you hit all the keynotes there, Michelle. There's so much to our stories that isn't in the resume, isn't there? And I'm looking forward to sharing some of that with you today. But if I was going for a job application, I think I'd probably put some of that on there. (laughs) (laughs) That's what a lot of my guests say. So really, truly, we're having a conversation. Um, So Lana, do share a little bit more about Transform Iran with us so the guests can kind of understand a little bit more about your amazing org. Thank you, Michelle. Yes, Transform Iran is really all about what it says on the tin, transforming Iran. God loves all the people of the world and all the nations in the world. And us as Iranians are acutely aware of his heart towards Iran and his passion for the Iranian people and his desire to um, be in in, in relationship with them, to restore them, to love them, to bring hope and freedom to their lives. So it is our call and our mission to be his channel for that. And uh, we try to do that in three kind of strategic focuses. First, evangelism. The word of God says, you know, how can they know if they have not heard? And so that's the ultimate challenge to us as believers. You know, we sometimes stand around looking at the world around us in dismay and disappointment, perhaps even in judgment. And I guess the challenge to us is how can they know if they have not heard? It is our call, our duty to make sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that his love, everything that he brings to our lives is communicated with the broken world around us. So that's our first call as Transform Iran, to make sure that the people of Iran have heard the good news. And, you know, Iranians are so hungry. They are so open to an alternative to what's been fed to them for so many decades. And they are looking, they are looking for something different. And it is imperative that us as believers, us who carry the only truth, the only way that we are there ready to be make, uh, to to be sharing what Jesus has given us already to make sure that as those Iranians are looking for something different, they find life. So that's our first focus. And we use every media available to us, internet, TV, social media, radio, printed Bibles and literature, in-person outreach teams, every way that we can, we make sure that the gospel is presented so that no one who is looking doesn't find what he's looking for. And then we offer discipleship because Jesus is after disciples, not converts. So, you know, many are converting to the good news, thousands upon thousands. Open Door says Iran is the fastest growing church in the world with almost 20% growth rate every year. So that's not our first challenge. Our first challenge is how do we then make sure all these people who are coming to know Jesus are rooted in the word, growing, connected to the body and um, growing well in truth. So we offer discipleship. We take them on a year long journey with us. It's almost always remote because of security concerns on both sides of the relationship. 
So we will call in with them once a week for a year. We take them through a whole curriculum where we teach them basics of Christian doctrine, theology, but we also teach them evangelism, apologetics, church planting, pastoral care. Um, because quite often, Michelle, in this journey of discipleship, these people end up planting churches. It's organic, natural growth. Our counselor will call in for a session and the person on the other end in Iran will say, I hope you don't mind. I have put you on speaker. I've been sharing everything that you've been telling me. And now there's 30 people here of my friends and family, and they all want to know. So now this person who maybe five, six months ago wasn't even a believer is now a church pastor. So that relationship develops with them and we continue to disciple them and develop them as leaders. We mentor them. There are additional resources they can access like a Bible college or an apologetic center. And those that we think would benefit, we actually bring out of Iran to safe training centers in the Middle East where we give one-to-one attention, we'll baptize them. Many won't have had the opportunity in Iran. They get the opportunity to to worship out loud, to sing out loud, to be with uh, people around them who are all believers. And it's an incredibly strengthening, um, nourishing time for them. And they go back refreshed and ready for more. So that's our second pillar, discipleship, leadership development. And our third focus is transformation. Because at the end of the day, we're not trying to rack up a list of churches or even leaders, we're looking to transform a nation. And all the people that we disciple and develop and pour into, our ethos is always outwards looking. How are we going to be the kind of people that Jesus can use to transform a nation? How do we how do we see the world around us in the way that Jesus sees? How do we bring real solutions? How do we meet their needs? So Part of it is making sure the churches that we plant, and there are hundreds across Iran, are outwards-looking, mission-minded, active, living churches. But also, it's about considering every sector of society. What about the elite, the academics, the politicians? You know, what about the business leaders? What about the illiterate, the poor, the hungry, the abused, those who've seen trauma? How do we consider all these different needs? How do we help a whole nation? see redemption and life and change. So that's really a summary of what the work of Transformer on is. That is a lot, Mana. I'm sure it's been uh, over time impacting. I'm assuming this has been around for what, 25, 30 years? 30 plus years, yes. Okay. It came from your dad? It did, yes. My mom and dad, they were um, part of the church leadership in Iran. And they were now in in the late 80s when the Islamic regime had been in force for about a decade. And the Iran-Iraq war, which had also lasted a similar period of time, was ending. And so a little bit of stability was coming back to the country at the end of the war, but also persecution was increasing for Christians. And it was around that time that quite a few of the Christians were leaving um, for fear of what was coming. And God began to speak to them and said to them he wanted them to leave. And they were uncertain at first. Their hearts are really intertwined with Iran and their ministry and their call is Iran. So they weren't sure if they'd heard right. Finally, they tentatively brought it up with each other and said, you know, I think God is saying we need to leave. Oh, wow, we're both hearing the same thing. Okay, let's go pray and fast. So for a month they parted, you know, they stopped discussing it and just went and prayed on their own and fasted on their own to hear what the Lord was saying and journaled what he was saying. And then they came back at the end of the month and compared notes. And 
it was the same on both sides. God was saying, you need to leave. So they took that to the overseeing pastor, Pastor Hike, who was actually Uncle Hike to me. He was my dad's best friend and overseeing the church there. And he said to them, um, no, you've heard wrong. We need you here. And they were delighted to hear that and said, that's, that's great. We want to stay. Um, anyway, he ends up having a dream and God speaks to Pastor Hike and says, no, you need to let them go and urgently. So he ends up going back to the house, you know, knocking the door down early hours in the morning going, no, you, I'm so sorry. I spoke out of turn. God's spoken to me a dream in a dream. Yes, you, you heard correctly. You need to be leaving. And actually there's a sense of urgency to it. You need to leave soon. So I was nine at that time. And I remember how quickly just everything went into turbo mode in the, the upheaval of it all, you know, just pack up, sell up, give it all away. There's no taking any wealth out of the country. All your bags are searched on the way out. So it was a case of just leaving it all behind. And I often think of Abraham when I remember our story there, when God called him out, but he didn't know yet where he was going. There was a coming out first in obedience, trusting that God knew what was coming next. And then only when he obeyed and stepped out that God tell him what was coming next. And that really was our story in that we came out in obedience and ended up in England. And then God spoke to them and said, the church in Iran is going to be driven underground. And I need you out here to mobilize the church of the diaspora and prepare to support what will become a persecuted church. So that's what we did all the way through the nineties. We gathered Christians across Europe. We had conference after conference. I remember all the way through my early teens in Denmark, in Holland, in Sweden, in Finland, literally all over Europe gathering the Farsi speaking Christians and really just giving them hope and focus again, because a lot of them had come out of the country unhappy to have had to leave are their hearts still back in the country, maybe not even speaking the language of the country that they'd landed in and still very much wanting to make a difference to their country, Iran. And here we could come together, pray, listen, wait on the Lord and let him tell us what was next. And uh, it grew momentum. And as it did, um, people began to look more and more to my parents for leadership. You know, what are we called? What's the vision? And so they went back to the Lord and said, right, what's next? He gave them two, 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 the three numbers as they were praying. So they went digging in the word and they found two Timothy two, two which is a discipleship verse. It says, and the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. So this, this, this passing on effect. And so um, they began earnestly discipling, mentoring, developing leaders. And, you know, God saw what was coming. The Church of Iran has exploded really in revival. There's no other word for it. And as I said earlier, there's no shortage of converts. But the question is, do we have enough leaders who can sustain this kind of growth and who can look after the young church and make sure that it's growing correctly, that the Bible is taught and understood? So praise God, he'd foreseen it and we were prepared. And so discipleship leadership development continued to be a real bedrock to the ministry. We did rename um, last year to Transform Iran in obedience again to the Lord, asking us to think much bigger and declare even prophetically more consistently what it is that he has given us to do and still stay true to the original mandate, which is to focus on the people, people who will reach people who will reach people who will reach people because that's how God works. He engages people in his work and praise God. That's what he's doing. Yeah, he is. And I just wanted the 
kind of the history and how the transformation is taking place out there. Because as you know, I love to share transformational God stories. And you, I know, um, have one uh, within what God has called you to do in rising up and asking others to rise up as you go through in obedience in this whole transformation. So I would love to hear from you, Lana. Um, as you know, my focus is on women's God stories. God stories encompass a lot. But I would love to know why you think it is so important for women, because we're going to hear from you on yours, but I would love to hear why you think sharing transformational God stories are so important. Well, Michelle, we use this word testimony a lot, don't we? And I don't know if you're aware, but the word actually means do it again. So there is, (laughs) um, I found it so profound when I learned this. And I think that's why the Lord would have us share testimonies and his stories in our lives, because it infuses faith. And as we hear what God is doing in someone else's life, then we are encouraged and uh, provoked even to say, God, do that, do that for me, do that in me, do that through me. So I think these stories are really important because they encourage others to catch something of something of God's heart and to follow whatever the unique call and mandate is on each of our lives accordingly. So yes, I think women play an important role. You know, we are half of the body <laughs> and it's, in the same way that you wouldn't cut off a whole age group or a whole race or in any other way, you know, all the curly hairs, all the, <laughs> there's so many different ways you can slice and slice, dice the population. It so happens that women have become such a divisive topic. And I think that's because the enemy would have the church impotent because he would have half of the force that God would want to use in changing the world made impotent in their ability to impact any kind of change. So I think women must rise up and take their place. It is an act of obedience. It is an act of worship. It would deny God an opportunity to do everything that he wants to do is as if as if as women, we step aside and defer to the men. That's not respectful or submissive or humble. That's disobedient. Because as women, we have a role to play and we must play our role and it will enhance what God does through the men and it will make complete the picture for what, what God wants to do through all of us. Yeah, I love that. And so this is a great segue to giving you an opportunity to share your Rise Up God story. So, Lana, can you share where your Rise Up God's story began. Thank you, Michelle. I wanted to really um, start with a verse that captured my heart as a teenager. Um, In Acts, there's a passage when Paul is invited to speak to the Jews in the synagogue and he's sharing a whole lot. And then he just turns to the story of David and he says, David fulfilled the purposes of God for his generation. And as I was reading that as a young teenager, I remember thinking, wow, this one person years and years after he's been and gone, someone else is talking about him. And he's saying that this man fulfilled the purpose of God, not even just for his life, but for his generation. 
And it really caught my imagination. I thought, God, what is your purpose for my generation, for my age group? And how can I fulfill it? Because if David can do it, if David is someone who can rise up and fulfill purposes of God for a generation, then we all can. And we all, and this is David's testimony, isn't it? So now we're looking at it thinking, do it again, do it through me. And so it really fueled something in me where I began to just pray into for God to show me some of what was on his heart for me, but also for my peers, for my people, for my immediate community, and ultimately for my generation. And I wanted to make sure that I was something that God could use to further his cause, his will, his purpose for my generation. And the more I dug into the word, the more compelled I felt that this wasn't even really optional. If I wanted to live a life that was fully honoring God, but fully surrendered to him, then part of that was to plug into what did he want to do with me? How did he want to use me to further his will, his purpose? Because there was, there is something that he wants to do with me. There is something unique that only I can do that you perhaps can't do, Michelle. And there's something unique, of course, that you can do that I can't do. And if we all plug into that specific call that we each have, think what God will do. And I just, it, it really did completely inform so many of my choices through my teens and certainly has ever since thinking, wow, I want every place that I go to be better because I was there. Not because I just in myself was there, but because God in me was there and God was using me and the gifts that he had given me, he wanted to see me use those. And as a mother, I've seen that so much where I think about my own children and all the various things I pour into their lives. I want them to use those things, you know, whether it's a dance class or a music class or a sporting activity, whatever it is. I don't want my kids to just, you know, be all humble about it and put it back and say, oh no, mom, I'm, I'm not, I, that's not really for me, or I, that's too much for me, or I'm not good enough. I, as their parents, can see their giftings and I'm giving them opportunities to use those giftings and it brings me so much pleasure. So how much more, when God puts all his different gifts in us, how much more pleasure does it give him? That's worship, isn't it? When we get to be everything he made us to be, we get to use every gift he's given us, because we understand that in using all those gifts and in, in ensuring that we are powerful in his hands, that we make a difference in our communities for his glory, that he is glorified, that we are worshiping him because he's looking at us and he's thinking, well, thank you. I gave you that gift and you used it and this and this and this happened. And I, I wanted to see that happen. So I think that's really important. And us as women, especially, I think we have such a self-deprecating kind of angle to our characters where, you know, there's someone else can do it better. And I think, you know, sometimes that's humility, but sometimes that's actually denying God the pleasure of seeing us be everything he made us to be. And that's really important. And absolutely for me, whether it's been the school that I was in, the college, whether it's been a workplace, the town I live in, the church I go to, I'm convinced that if I'm obedient and if I'm intimate in my relationship with Jesus, those places should be better because I was there. And I absolutely say that to my children. You are here to make a difference. Your school should be blessed because you are there. Your church should be blessed because you are there. So let's make sure that we are doing everything that we can so that Jesus can get the maximum glory and the maximum pleasure out of our lives. 
Have you come up against warfare in your life, Lana, as you have worked so hard in, you know, are living out your calling? Have you found roadblocks or, I mean, so maybe for women who might be listening and even those in Iran who, you know, are listening and they are struggling, uh, what words of wisdom and strength and encouragement do you have based on maybe what you've encountered through, you know, trying to rise up and be all that God has purposed you to be here? Uh, well, Michelle, I would say that the, the enemy will use whatever tactics that he can to derail us and to silence thoughts of significance or impact or true identity. So that does look different for each of us. It could be an external voice. It could be a, even a friend um, or someone, a boss perhaps, who will want to say, no, you're getting ahead of yourself. And I think especially as women, as soon as women show signs of confidence, of a sense of significance, then words like pushy or proud or, uh, you know, wannabe or those kinds of words are used. And it's interesting when men display those characteristics, they're leaders or they're influential. But when women display those characteristics, they're stepping beyond where they should be. So I think we must be mindful of that and recognize sometimes that voice comes from the outside. Sometimes it comes from ourselves where we doubt ourselves. But if we are plugged into what God is saying about us, then we can come back every day and recheck and reset. And I certainly have made a habit of doing that. If I get into a situation where I'm doubting my ability to do anything, first of all, I agree with that voice. Yeah. I'm not able to do anything of any real significance, but hey, I'm not operating alone. Exactly. You know, the word tells us that we are, we carry his presence. We are temples for the Holy Spirit. So I want him to shine through me. And I often think, you know, if, if I can allow God to use me in such a way where people will look at my life and say, no way could Lana have done that then I know I've done it right. Because if someone looks at me and goes, yes, isn't Lana so talented? And isn't she, you know, this and that, then I think I've operated within my human ability and I'm beginning to get glory then for what I'm doing. And that's such a shame. But if I can step out into a really uncomfortable place and allow God to work supernaturally and be completely reliant on him, because now I know I'm beyond what I think I can do in my own strength, then God really gets to shine. And then I don't stand a chance of getting the glory because everyone who looks at me knows you couldn't have done that. So what's your secret? And then I can share the gospel. When I was looking at the last video that you did, doing a summation of the challenges in Iran in what's going on with trauma and, you know, all types of competition with Christianity and also with, you know, some of the suppression that goes on. You know, I was, you know, really reflecting on how I have so taken so many of my freedoms and things here in the United States for granted. I mean, I know now there's a lot of challenges that we have within our country here. And, you know, my show is not a political show. But I mean, I will say that we have to continue to rise up regardless 
of those challenges and be aware of the leading that God has in our lives as he calls us out individually in our sphere of influences and things. But I would like to know from your perspective, how can we um, in the United States, how can we do more to help, you know, your country and the transformation? I mean, I know there's lots of programs and things that you're doing and, you know, all that, but, you know, for individuals, even, you know, what, what, what ways can we, um, even in prayer, you know, but just, you know, from your perspective, and maybe what you could also do is just kind of do a summation of kind of where things are in your country, um, as you did with that YouTube video or that video, um, and then maybe share, you know, areas that maybe we can, we can make a difference, you know, as God calls us out to. Yeah, absolutely. And we can make a difference, Michelle. I think it's another one of the lies of the enemy where he wants us to feel that we're incapable of making a difference in various situations. And so that feeling of being overwhelmed and hopeless leads to inaction because we feel that we can't actually do anything. And I would say that we have to remember that prayer is active. So that is a powerful first step. And, you know, there's, we can pray, of course, generally, and God knows the situation and we, there, there's always benefit in any kind of prayer, but I would invite your listeners if they really want to feel a part of what's happening and, um, be more specific in that, in helping. If you get on our website, transformiran.com, then you can sign up to a newsletter and, Perhaps I need to rename that, call it a prayer letter, because really that's what it is. Um, on the first of the month, we send an update on specific things that we would welcome partnership and extra fuel in prayer for that month. If we have a specific event that's coming, sometimes we have to be vague. So we'll say, for example, you know, a, a number of underground church leaders are going to be trained in an undisclosed location this month. Please pray. But even that is great. Um, and sometimes we can be very specific and we can give dates and places and we say, you know, please pray for this with us. Or there've been situations, for example, when we first engaged in Bible translation very early on in the process, many of the whole families of our Bible translators, the spouses, the children fell ill. So then there's a specific prayer request there, pray for health for the families of those who are translating the Bible into the many languages of Iran. So please do pray for us. And I would say pray with us. Prayer is a partnership. We partner with the Lord in what he wants to do. And we partner together in ministry and adventure. And if you want to feel more connected, then that's a really great way to do it. And remember the Lord says the prayers of a righteous man are powerful. So let's get on our knees together. Let's put 10,000 to fly, like that verse says. You no know, one puts 1,000 to fly, two put 10,000 to fly. Let's put those 10,000 to fly together and let's really make inroads in the spiritual realm for what God is doing because he is on the move and his eye is on Iran. You know, the there's this passage in the Old Testament where it talks about the sons of Issachar and says they knew the times. And then when you fast forward to the New Testament and when Jesus is admonishing the Pharisees, he tells them off for the exact opposite. He says, you did not see the signs. You don't know what the Lord is doing. Sometimes the Lord is doing something specific. There is a grace that is on a certain um, topic or people group. And 
Amongst others, Iran right now has the eye of the Lord and there is an awakening and a hunger. And we need more than just Iranians to get in on this and help us. I don't know if this is the video you were talking about, Michelle, but I often tell the story of the fishermen when they go out to sea. Jesus sends Peter out and says, go fish again and throw your net to the other side. And Jesus, you know, Peter says, I haven't caught anything all night. And he goes, no, go again and throw your net the other side. And of course he does. And the word tells us that his nets were so heaving with fish that the nets were breaking and he had to ask the other fishermen to come and help him with the catch. Well, that's really where we're at as the Iranian church. Our nets are heaving. We have no shortage of interest and hunger and need. What we need is help in bringing in this incredible harvest that the Lord has put before us. And so together, we can partner together and see this purpose of God in our generation come to fulfillment. I believe something significant is going to happen that will change the tide for Iranians and Iran. And we as the body need to be ready. So Prayer is number one. But with that comes awareness, Michelle, because so many people don't even know what's happening. So those who do know and are praying, we say, please tell your friends, tell your churches, let's awaken the global body to what God is doing and let's activate more people in prayer and partnership to what's going on. And the blessing is there for us all because as God is doing these incredible miracles and lives are changing, we all get to rejoice because we were part of that. We prayed it in together. And of course, Michelle, the, the final step there is partnership. And, you know, we're a nonprofit. Everything costs. But for me, that's the last step because I do believe that there's a journey that people take with us, that they pray with us, they feel part of it. And then if it's right, the Lord will put it on people's heart. And great, we welcome those who are able to and wanting to resource this work and um if god puts on people's heart to do that then that would be wonderful too and all of that is on the website would you mind um just sharing your website yes it's transformiran.com okay cool so wow there's so much in this episode and i know so many will be aware of i think what's transpiring and all the excitement that is going on in the country and what god is doing through your ministry through you and through others who come alongside and i do know that god will work through this episode and through what you're sharing and will work on the hearts of those women that need to rise up in you know helping um, or being, you know, all that God has called them to do. And even in Iran, you know, I do have some Iranian listeners um, here. And I'm hoping that we can continue because I agree we serve a global God. We need to be in unity as the body of Christ. We all need to come together. We're stronger as we work together. And I do think the Lord honors that. So, I really appreciate the time you've taken. I know you're so busy, um, Lana. Now, let's really recap again the plight of women on, in Iran. What is the hardest part of being a woman in Iran today? Wow, to pick the hardest, I guess, in summary, women are hopeless right now. The, in, the infrastructure, the, the legal setup in Iran is all geared to constantly tell women 
that they matter less, their voice matter less, matters less, their choices matter less, um, their contribution is less worthwhile. And, you know, you can be told that a few times and bat it off, but when that's ingrained into every part of your schooling, your education, your um, personal life, women are married off very young normally. There are arranged or forced marriages depending on the family setup. I mean, there have been legally recorded marriages for girls as young as five years old, and that, that's not uncommon in Iran. The legal minimum is 13, but it's quite common for it to be younger. Um, any kind of abuse towards women um, is the men are not held accountable. It's the woman who would have to explain her um, promiscuity. And, you know, it can be executable. You know, there's a death sentence for a promiscuity. So uh, women are just constantly squeezed in. You know, they they don't have access to their children if they're divorced. Uh, the list is so long, I, I struggle to know where to begin. So, and of course, there's all the physical stuff. We've seen in the news lately what happened with Masa Amini and all the protests. That's the hijab that they have to cover their hair. You know, it's such a simple, basic thing, but it all adds to the same where you shouldn't be seen, you shouldn't be heard. If a woman wants to go for a job interview or to hire a, a rent an apartment, anything like that, if she doesn't have a man to go with her and speak for her, like she's mine, she's under my charge, then she's at risk. You know, that she'll she'll be offered, or you can have the job if you sleep with me, or you can have the apartment if you sleep with me. It's it's um they are just a commodity. And so they're always under this. The, the man who speaks for them, whether it's their father or their husband or their brother, there's always someone who has the right to make decisions on their behalf and who is their covering. Now, it's given as a covering, as a protection, but really it's control. So if she wants to travel certain places, if she wants to study certain things, she would have to have permission from her male guardian. She wants to leave the country with her children, then the father of the children has to give written permission or she can't take the children out with her. Everything is separated. They can't do any sports in public. They can't um, socialize with men in public, um, well, or even in private in theory, but of course that's harder to control. So they grow up with a completely broken sense of identity. And one of our core ministries, Pearl of Persia, is all about communicating that to women and saying, hang on a minute, you think this is all that you are, all that you're worth, but actually, Jesus says this about you. Jesus deals this way with women at a time where it was actually completely normal for women's voice not to matter for their test. You know, Jesus appeared to a woman first when he was risen from the dead. A woman's testimony was worthless in a court of law at that time. And yet Jesus chose to give the woman the first testimony of his resurrection. So all these things are ways to help women see who they really are in Christ. And we see such incredible transformations and turnarounds in women's lives when they encounter Jesus. And Michelle, the way these women love Jesus, it is humbling and overwhelming to see. And it brings me to my knees. And it reminds me again and again, living in a free country, just how precious Jesus is. You know, we forget sometimes because he's so freely accessible and it's anything that is easy and free turned aside to the worth like a worthless object like i'll pick you up when i want i'll put you down when i want but in iran when it's so precious and so costly to encounter jesus and stay in relationship with jesus the 
the prize that he is, is understood. And when you're around women like that, you're reminded how precious Jesus is and how precious our salvation is. And I've been in meetings where women have been in the ground, like face on the floor, just wailing, weeping with love and adoration for Jesus. And it's it's infectious, but you know, they also have to be told, you know what, you can look up, you can look at him. He, it's okay to face him. It's he He wants you to call him by name. He knows you by name. These are novel things for Iranian women who've always felt that they need to look down. It's, you know, they can't look anyone important in the eye. So yeah, this is women in Iran today, but change is coming and the women are are finding hope in Jesus and it's exciting. Yes, it is an amen and amen and rise up ladies. Your time is coming. Look up to Jesus. And you can hear it from Lana and everything that they're doing there through Transform Iran and her ministry and all of what God has done. So be encouraged. Oh, my goodness. This is such a blessing to sit here and have this conversation, Lana. So I will be praying over your ministry, over your calling, over all that God is doing in Iran. And I just thank you again for taking your time and sharing your God's story. I know God is going to use this for the blessing of Iran and for his glory. And when we give him glory, that's when God really smiles and and he really enjoys, I know, what he is seeing through what you're doing in your ministry and calling there. So. With that, friends, I think we are going to call this a wrap. Everyone has very busy lives. And I wanted to remind you that we will have a episode page up there for Lana. And it will have some of the links and some of her information and ministry information um, for getting in touch with her. And also, friends, do reach out if you're looking to partner with Transform Iran. I mean, I know our church does some work in um, giving Bibles to the Iranian people and partnering. I'm not really sure if that's affiliated with Transform Iran, but I do know that there are many people out there that are starting to bring awareness. So that's the key. And any last word before we wrap up? Thank you for the opportunity, Michelle. It's been fun talking about God with you. I love it. It's life-giving, remembering, reminding myself all that God wants to do through us. So I want to encourage the women listening. You have great, significant roles to play in the kingdom of God. Don't shy away from it. It's an act of worship to pursue all that God has made you to be. And that's a wrap. And until the next show, friends, be heard and be healed.
Altered Stories Ministry is a faith-based, nonprofit, and women's evangelistic storytelling ministry located in Overland Park, Kansas. If you enjoyed listening to today's story, your family and friends would probably benefit from hearing how God works in the lives of women all over the world, too. So please, subscribe to our show and share the link to this podcast. Share it on your social media. We also welcome your valued feedback on our stories. Also, we'd appreciate your prayerful consideration in sponsoring one of our future God-glorifying stories and welcome your tax-exempt financial donation. To find out more on how you can support our ministry, you can log on to our website at www.alteredstories.org. 